You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. Hi, welcome to New King Church. We are so glad you are here with us today. If you're a first-time guest, there should be a number on top of the screen. Um, we would love to get connected with you. Our scripture reading today is found in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be as one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to a complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Looks weird, doesn't it? The, uh, the empty church. And you think about how many churches all over the place are sitting empty. All over the world have been sitting empty now for months. And, um, and, and, and you hear people talking about the church being closed. You know, how much longer is the church going to be closed? And uh, I just want to point something out that God's church has never closed. You can't, you can't shut down the church um, because the church isn't a building. The church isn't a service on Sundays. The church is the people of God. The church is a family. We like to say here at New King that the church is a family. And, um, and you, don't, you don't shut down a family. You don't close a family. And so, yeah, we haven't been meeting. And yeah, the building has been sitting here empty. But God's church, God's church hasn't stopped. God's church is a people. And it's the relationships. It's the friendships that that are the heart of God's family, his church. Um, you know, we talk about seeking after community, having community. It's a value of ours. But today what I want to talk about is why. Why is value, why is community a value? Why, why does it matter? Why, why seek after this? Why fight for it? It doesn't come easy for, for any of us. We have to fight for community. And today, what I hope to show you through God's word is why this is worth fighting for. We're going to look at how it is that God's love, we learned about last week, connects to this idea of community within the church. So... Um, I'm excited about what God has been showing me. I cannot wait to share it with you. I'm praying that God is going to give you revelation as he has given me tons of revelation this week. Um, this week, God did, did some huge things. Um, a dear brother in the church and I were at odds with one another. We didn't even realize it until this conversation exposed some things that showed that for maybe the last year there there have been there have been issues in our friendship there there were wedges that that, that were driven in by the enemy 
to drive us apart. And it wasn't like that there was some clear break in our friendship. There wasn't. But it was that things weren't just right. Things weren't unified. And it took the work of the Holy Spirit and a conversation where we both were able to just express some things, some, some lies, essentially, that we had believed and some, some little offenses here and there, little things that had caused our friendship to, to be broken without us even realizing it. It made me wonder how many other friendships in the church are broken that we're not even aware of. You're not even thinking about. It's not, it's not clear that it's broken, but it's not quite right. And I'm telling you, th this conversation that we had, I mean, it was life-giving. It was, it was extraordinary. It, it felt like chains breaking off. And now the, the friendship is completely restored. It's an awesome thing. And so I'm praying that God is going to do more of that. I see a clear connection in this study of God's love for us and our unity as a, as a body. So we're going to see that today in the scriptures. Pray with me and we're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, God, I need your help. I I want to share your truth with the church. I feel totally inept. God, I know how weak I am. I need your spirit. Would you come and empower me and fill me right now and give me your words and open hearts to see this incredible truth about your love for us and our love for one another. God, would you give us the strength to comprehend the extent of your love so that we could be filled with all the fullness of God? We need you. We need your help right now. So would you come and help us right now? Holy Spirit, we ask it. Do start a work in our church today that would last for the rest of our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna be looking at John chapter 17 primarily, but I have a lot of different verses to share. We're gonna be looking at uh, especially John chapter 17 verses 20 through 24. And last week, if you heard Aaron's sermon, if you haven't heard Aaron's sermon about just establishing what it means that God is love. It is awesome. Um, and it's what really sent me on this study to go deeper into the fact that God is love. And man, but basically Aaron showed us that love flows perfectly within God, within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God's love for God, the Father's love for God, the Son, goes back all the way to eternity Past that the Son was in the bosom of the Father from eternity past. Um, we learned that God's love for His Son shapes all of His other relationships, that He gives gifts to His Son to express that love, that the Son's love for the Father is expressed through total obedience to the point of death. Um, and He ended with this, this point, and this is where I want to pick up today, that the love that the Father has for the Son, He has now placed on those who have trusted in the Son. The love that the Father has for the Son, He has now placed on us, on believers. It's incredible truth. Um, so 
Today, what we're going to learn is how that love, that love that has been given to believers must be displayed to the world, how it must be displayed to the world, and also why it must be displayed that way. And so we're going to be studying John 17. John 17 is what's called the high priestly prayer, and it's where Jesus, before being arrested and going to the cross, prays what is arguably the most important prayer of his entire earthly life. It's the longest prayer that we have recorded of Jesus in Scripture, and it would take a lifetime to dig up all the gems, all the incredible truths that are to be learned through this prayer that Jesus prays before he is arrested and goes to the cross. Um, it's, it's like peering into this inner Trinitarian love, this divine love that we learned about last week when you see Jesus conversing with his Father. Um, in the second half of verse 23, Jesus says what Aaron's sermon concluded with last week, that the Father loves us even as he loved the Son. If you haven't turned to John 17 yet, take a look at that. John 17, verse 23, it says that the Father loves us even as we, even as he loved the Son. But what struck me as I was studying this was that Jesus is praying with the purpose that the world would know that he is the Messiah and that Christians are loved with this depth of love. Verse 23, he says, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So here, as Jesus is getting one last good time of prayer before going to the cross, this is what's pulsing through his heart and his mind, what's consuming his, his thoughts. He wants the world the world, those who hated him and rejected him and have not believed in him, the ones that want to murder him, he wants them to know God's love. And he sees one way and only one way that they are going to come to believe this love. Here's, here's where we read about it. John 17, verses 20 through 23. He says, I do not ask for these only, talking about his 12 disciples, his immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So now he's talking about all future disciples, which includes us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So here is what Jesus is saying. The only way that the world will see that Jesus really is the Son of God sent by the Father 
and that God's divine love is being offered to them through Jesus is if believers are one. In the same way that Jesus is one with his Father. Now, it's not just talking about unity the way that you might think about unity, and I, the way that I have tended to think about unity. I have tended to think about unity within the church as being something not much more than like um, agreement, coming to an agreement, being at peace, not being at odds with one another. But this is a much deeper oneness because he's saying that they would become perfectly one in the same way that the Father and the Son are one. Now, that's a whole lot more than just coming to agreement for the sake of peace. That's a deep, deep oneness. And I'm going to show you through the scriptures why this is necessary for the world to believe that Jesus is the Son sent by the Father and that the, the love that the Father and the Son have had from eternity past is being offered to them. But first, got to lay some groundwork, okay? So here is... Here's what I want us to start with. The first thing we need to understand is that the love the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for the Father is the driving and motivating force behind all that they do. Aaron alluded to this last week, but I think it's worth thinking about again in order uh, to in order to understand what we're going to be talking about today. So last week we learned from John 1.18 that from eternity past, the Son of God has been in the Father's bosom. The love between them is eternal. Um, John 3.35 says the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. So love motivates the Father to give the Son everything. John 5, 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So love motivates the Father to include the Son in everything he is doing. John 14, 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is saying, here's why I do everything that that the Father's commanded me, so the world can know how much I love him. Love motivates the Son to obey the Father and then to glorify him. And, and I, I, I think part of our struggle with understanding the, the true importance of deep friendship, deep community, deep unity within the church is that we have separated somehow the doctrine of Christian love from Christian unity when they should not be separated at all. Not if when Jesus says that they may be one even as we are one, then, then unity clearly is something much more than, um, much more than simple agreement. It is, a, it is a loving friendship, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, so in order for us to understand this concept of brothers and sisters in Christ being one, we need to understand the concept of the Father and the Son being one, right? So let's look at that. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through 
their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So he's talking about a union that is a, a, an actual practical union, the Father in the Son, the Son in the Father. What, what I want us to see is that the love between the Father and the Son produces a unity between them out of which flows all of Jesus's ministry on earth. Okay, this is huge. This is huge. So the love between the Father and the Son produces a unity between them. Out of that unity flows all of Jesus's ministry on earth. If you look at the inauguration of Jesus's public ministry in Matthew 6, I mean, sorry, Matthew 3, 16, in 17, it says that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So there's the Holy Spirit. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So there's the father declaring over his son, his love for him and his pleasure in him. So the Son, God the Son, did not go rogue from the Trinity while he performed his ministry on the earth. The Spirit came to rest on him, to anoint him for the work ahead of him. The Father is giving his approval and love to the Son as the Son goes out on this mission. But it doesn't end there. We read in John 5, John 5, verses 19 through 20. Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he, that he himself is doing. So here we see the unity between father and son. Out of love, the Father shows the Son what he is doing, and the Son joins him in it. The Son is doing nothing of his own will, but whatever the Father wills. And then in John 12, um, verses 49 and 50, Jesus says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And then... This one especially, John 14, verses 10 and 11. John 14, verses 10 and 11. This really shows that Jesus' ministry was an overflow of this deep, loving union um, between the Father and the Son. He says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So here Jesus very clearly is saying that the Father, it is the Father empowering all of his ministry. This loving union between Father and Son is the source of Jesus' power and effectiveness as a human being on earth. Just as the universe was created by the Father through the Son, the scriptures teach, 
So all that Jesus said and did was the Father working through the Son. The Father and the Son are one in this way, and it empowers all of Jesus' ministry. Next, I want to show that the Father and the Son can't help but express their love to each other. And they do so by honoring each other continually. Now, this was hitting me last week as I was listening to Aaron's sermon that love cannot help but express itself, right? This is why newlyweds just can't help but say how much they love each other, right? People in love, they have to say it, they have to express it, they have to show it. And the father and the son cannot help but express their love for each other, and they do so by honoring each other continually. John chapter 5, 22 and 23 says, For the Father judges no one, Jesus saying, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So the Father's giving judgment to the Son so that the Son will be honored. And then in John 17, from uh, this, this high priestly prayer at the beginning of John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I glorified you. Now, you glorify me. It's this continual giving of honor. One, one passage in, in the scriptures encourages believers to outdo one another in showing honor. And then we see this actually happening within the Godhead, the Father honoring the Son, and then the Son honoring the Father, and the Holy Spirit honoring the Son. And it's this continual outdo one another in showing honor. If love is genuine and real, it must be expressed. It desires to be shown and not just merely felt. And so their unity is visible to the world. It's more than just a feeling. It comes out in their words and their actions. Philippians 2, 8 through 10 gives us a little bit clearer picture of how this honoring happens because the Son honors the Father a little bit differently than the Father honors the Son. Philippians 2, 8 says, Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, so this is how the Son honors the Father, through humble submission and perfect obedience to the Father. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's how Jesus honors the Father. And then we, we read the next verses, and this tells us how the Father honors the Son. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is willingly submitting to the Father and obeying him perfectly. That's 100% motivated by his love for the Father. And the Father is giving all things over to Jesus, including a name above all names, and exalting him 
above everyone so that everyone will worship him. So you see, they're both honoring each other, but in different ways. The, the son honors through humble submission and perfect obedience. The father honors the son through exaltation and through giving him all things. Next, I want us to see that the father, motivated by this perfect love for his son, set this perfect love on the world full of rebels by sending his son to save them. And the son, motivated by perfect love for the father, set this love on the world full of rebels by dying in their place. This is huge. When you see that this perfect inner Trinitarian love, this perfect divine love, the love of God, was set on sinful rebels, on us. It's mind-boggling. Romans 5.10 says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Remember the purpose of Jesus' prayer in the garden. He said, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The perfect love of God that has been enjoyed within God all the way from eternity past was turned toward God's enemies. Jesus was the only doorway, the only way into this divine love. His death on the cross was the only way that the rebellion, that the sins against God could be forgiven. The Bible says we all rebelled against God. We have all gone astray and done what is evil in the sight of God. And because God is just, our sins had to be punished. In order for our sins to be punished, Jesus, the Son of God, had to do something unthinkable. And this is what was on his mind as he prayed that prayer that night in the garden. Jesus had to break this loving union that he had enjoyed with his Father for eternity and become sin while the Father would pour out his wrath for sin on him. The Bible says Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus on the cross didn't just, didn't just suffer because of the physical pain, and the, which was excruciating, but he suffered because on the cross, for the first time, for eternity, he was separated from that perfect union with his Father so that he could take our place, so that he could become a curse for us, sin for us, so that the Father could pour out his wrath on sin. Do you see what love it took for Jesus to go to the cross for us and die for the people who despised him? I, I think about him hanging there on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them. Here he is separated from his father. 
Here he is in torture and agony. And he is thinking about the very people who are spitting on him and mocking him and killing him. And he is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That, that is perfect love. Here's the point that I've been building up to, and I'm almost finished. Having this kind of love, this perfect divine love poured out on us, it should define us. This should absolutely define us. Having been orphans, we were made children of God. Having had debts against God that we could never repay, we were completely forgiven. Having been enemies against the God who made us, we were reconciled and made friends. Having been rebels against the king and his kingdom, we were made heirs of the kingdom. How could that not define us? How could that love not define us? That is why unity among believers is necessary for the world to know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because a people who've been loved with this kind of love will be changed by it, defined by it. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, as deeply loved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, if you're an adopted, loved child of God, let that define you. Live out of love. If you are loved with that kind of divine love, walk in that kind of love. As Christ loved us. Jesus put it this way to his disciples in John chapter 13. Verse 34 and 35, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here's what I'm trying to say, guys. Last week, Aaron finished off an incredible sermon saying that this incredible divine love that the Father and the Son have enjoyed for eternity has been poured out on us. And that should leave us in awe. And now here's the next step. When we understand, when we comprehend that that perfect love has been poured out on us, what we're supposed to do is love, love this God back with our whole, all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and then we're supposed to turn and pour out that kind of love onto each other. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also 
are to love one another. This is what Jesus was talking about when he prayed that disciples would be one as he and the Father are one. It wasn't simply an absence of arguing. Of arguing. It wasn't simply coming to peace. This was deeper than that. Jesus was praying for disciples whose entire lives would be defined by love, whose relationships and community would be defined by love, who would have deep, abiding friendships with one another because they love one another with the very love that God has loved them with. This would be a love so profound we couldn't help but express it to each other. It's not enough just to feel it in your heart. But this is a kind of love that relentlessly honors one another with our words and our actions, that tries to outdo one another in showing honor, that humbly serves each other, that bears with one another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven us, always putting each other before ourselves. And Jesus says this in the very next verse in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we love one another like that, like God has loved us, we're going to be united in the way that Jesus prayed for. And the world will know that Jesus really is who he said he was. And that we are a people who've been defined by divine love. I want to close with this. If this is so crucial, if this is so important, don't you think the enemy is fighting to keep us from this kind of love for each other? I learned it this week. that When, when I discovered that my brother and I were at odds with one another and didn't even know it, I realized there has been an enemy at work behind the scenes. If this kind of friendship, this kind of deep oneness is what God desires so that the world may know that Jesus is the Savior and that we've been loved with divine love, then don't you think the enemy is fighting hard against it? And so brothers and sisters, church, deeply loved of God. Let's cast off the darkness and put on the armor of light and let's fight as though God's mission depends upon our unity. Let's love one another the way that we were commanded to love one another as Christ loves us. Let's forgive each other of our faults. Let's bring division into the light and make amends and I trust if we will do this, the Spirit of God will be free to move in power through our church into our community. And that's what I'm praying for. Let's pray. Father God, would you do this? Would you show us, Lord, practically the people that we are at odds with, the people that we're not perfectly one with? Show us those things, Lord, that, that we have taken offense to or those that we have offended Bring those things to memory and right now give us the courage and the conviction to act on it. 
Holy Spirit, do a powerful work in this church to bring great unity. May it extend beyond our local church here to other churches. May, may we be one with other true churches. And God, may we love our neighbors as ourselves, as the outflow of your perfect love in us. I pray, do this work for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.